Well, you know, we're preparing now for the High Holy Days as we come toward the end of the summer. And in just a few weeks, uh, it will be already uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the High Holy Days. Uh, that time of year when we, you know, we're blowing the shofar and we're remembering, uh, in, in the midst of everything going on in the world, we're remembering the sovereignty of God. We remember who we are. We remember the atonement that God has provided. Uh, and boy, aren't we living in a day when we need to remember that. Um, it is, um, uh, we are living in a, in a time that uh, I will say that in recent memory, I can't remember more, like every hour, there's something new. There's more breaking news than regular news. You, you know, uh, whether we're talking about Gaza and Hamas, we're talking about disease uh, uh, spreading around the world. We're talking about uh, ISIS. Uh, and as we learned this week, uh, something that we've never seen before. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and the, the heinous, uh, uh, horrific uh, things that are, that are going on there. Uh, and then, of course, um, the, uh, all of the, the dissatisfaction and unrest going on in our, in our own uh, uh, country here. And and it is not, uh, you know, the wind is blowing and it doesn't smell good, you know? Uh, and, and I'm no alarmist, if you know me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but really, the things that are going on uh, in uh, the rest of the world, we cannot think because we have two big oceans, uh, 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 you know, guarding us, that these things are not uh, headed our way. And uh, the temptation for us is to fall to, is to succumb to the same kind of temptations that Hezekiah, uh, you know, and, uh, and other uh, even reformers of Israel uh, uh, fell to. And that is just trying to figure out the right political and military strategy, and that will save us. That will not save us. Because it never has. It might, it's, it, it sort of pushes things off for a while, but it is not what saves us. It is God who saves us. It is a God in uh, his relationship to humanity uh, that indeed saves us. So this is a good time of year as we are approaching the holidays and as we are uneasy about the world around us. For us to go back to our uh, statement of faith as we prepare for the High Holy Days, for we are at a perfect spot in our statement of faith. And I'm sorry that I don't have uh, a visual for you on that, but I do believe we still may have uh, uh, some uh, printed versions. We're using the uh, Union of Messianic Jewish Congregation Statement of Faith, uh, and um, very easily accessible, and uh, we can get that uh, for you. And we're actually close to the end of it. We have been going through it this year, and we're close to the end. And I'm just going to read to you this one portion that we want to talk about this morning. Yeshua died as an atonement for the sins of Israel and of the entire world. Okay? Yeshua died as an atonement for the sins of Israel and for the entire world. He was raised bodily from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection promised to Israel 
uh, as its glorification. Now, there's more to this statement, but I'm actually, I think I'm going to stop there because I'm probably not even going to get through that, okay? So Yeshua died as an atonement for the sins of Israel and, uh, and of the entire uh, world. All right. This word, uh, atonement, Yeshua died as an atonement. You know, the English word is kind of interesting. It's, it's not used uh, uh, really elsewhere uh, uh, in terms of trying to identify it, except in the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and so when we go back to the Hebrew word, uh, there is no literal Hebrew word that means atonement. Can you believe that? Right. It's the Hebrew word kafar, and it basically means to cover. It almost like, like, almost like the, way, uh, the way it sounds, coincidentally, the way it sounds in Hebrew is, uh, uh, is really kind of what it means. It means to cover, okay? Uh, and it's used uh, in the Bible in varieties of ways. Uh, sometimes it means to cover something, to cover something as a protection, uh, uh, to cover sins, uh, to... Um, uh, be a means of bridging the gap of, of reconciliation between man and God. And we read it in a variety of contexts there as well. For example, there's places where we read about atonement money. What? You can buy your way back to God? No. But that's another story for another day. All right? No. But basically what the word itself means is the way of reconciliation. And in the Brit Hanashah, the New Covenant, you know, we don't read the word, but we read other words uh, that, uh, that describe what atonement is. We read, uh, for example, the word propitiation, to satisfy uh, God's demands, one might say. We read about the word ransom. We read the word reconciliation. Read the word forgiveness by his blood. These all refer to the idea, the big idea of atonement. And the big idea of atonement is being reconciled to God. Being reconciled uh, uh, to God. Now, uh, it's interesting that uh, in the scriptures, in the Torah, we read, uh, we read the word mostly in the Torah. We hardly ever read it if we read it at all, even in the prophets. Okay, or even or in the uh, writings, but almost exclusively, almost exclusively, uh, in the uh, Torah, because it describes very much the Levitical system of reconciliation to God uh, uh, that God had provided in the Torah. Okay. Uh, and you're familiar with the animal sacrifices, and people had to come in faith, and there were all kinds of of sacrifices and all kinds of techniques and methods, you might say, uh, of offering those sacrifices for you know in, in varieties, uh, in varieties of uh, in varieties of ways. Uh, but what's interesting is, in a sense. Throughout the entire Bible and the entire history of Israel, God was continually making atonement for Israel outside of the ritual in the sense that he was constantly fixing situations. You know, uh, uh, remember uh, so, some of you, uh, uh, well, I'll just say some of you may remember this uh, from many, many years ago, uh, but uh, most of us might remember it from television, watching old uh, sh short 
um, uh, shorts that would have been in movie theaters in, in another generation. But we all have heard this phrase, it's another fine mess you've gotten us into, Ollie, right? Another fine mess you've gotten us into. Well, just read the book of Genesis, and there you go. Another fine mess we've gotten ourselves into. Whether we're talking about Adam and Eve, whether we're talking about Cain and Abel, whether we're talking about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or any of their relatives, okay? On both sides. <laughs> All right? Uh, and the fact is, is that we constantly are reading how God uh, uh, would get Israel out of a jam in a supernatural way by providing. This is a form of atonement, of deliverance, of, uh, of a reconciliation. Then there is the, the, the ritual atonement, the ritual reconciliation, where Israel as a people being reconciled uh, uh, to God. Well, it's interesting that as time went on and as our people constantly, constantly were not getting it, that God in varieties of ways communicated, mostly through the prophets, that enough is enough. I am going to, once and for all, provide the atonement for you. The second sentence would be, because you simply cannot handle it by faith on your own. I, myself, will provide it. And we read about that in a number of places, and I'm not going to take the time to read them all. One big place you can read on your own is the entire chapter of Ezekiel 36. Actually, 34 and 36. In Ezekiel 34, we read about a God providing the shepherd. He says, I myself will shepherd my people. I myself will shepherd my people. Not the shepherds of Israel. I myself will shepherd my people. But then in, in uh, Jeremiah, a passage that we are familiar with, there is a promise that God makes. Now, in Jeremiah's day, uh, basically the conventional wisdom of the leadership was, we're the chosen people. There's a temple. There's a promise. Nothing really bad can happen to us. And Jeremiah said, no, 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 no. You don't understand that it's not simply about the promise, that promise. But there is also uh, uh, the need for walking with God, following the ways of God. And while uh, God will not abrogate his covenant with you, we are not immune from anything that this world uh, can bring our way. And so he says to them in chapter 31, in verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and, and they shall be my people. And they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. By observation, what I would suggest is count all the eyes. All the time, God speaks for himself and says what he's going to do. He will place the law in our inward parts. He will write it on there. 
He will be our God, and consequently, we will be his people. Then he says, uh, a little farther down, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Okay? And so we have this great promise of God providing for himself, for us, providing this uh, bridge in our relationship, thus making atonement for us. Okay? Now, in another prophet, the prophet Isaiah, we have uh, a series of passages that talk about uh, the servant. They're in the, they're in the latter part of Isaiah. And they talk about a servant who's, who is, uh, uh, who's the people of Israel, basically, uh, and who are called to be God's witnesses to the nations and, and so on. However, in uh, chapter 42, you uh, notice in verse 18, it says, Hear you deaf, <laughs> and look you blind, that you may see who is blind but my servant, or so deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is so blind as he that is at peace with me, or so blind as the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. The servant, Israel, is in pretty bad shape. Israel, the Jewish people, could not, could not measure up. We, our people could not measure up to be this servant, to be this uh, way for the nations to know God. Because we had totally failed in this endeavor. So it's interesting, and take the MSI class in Isaiah when it's offered again, and you'll find that within this big picture of Israel the servant is one from within Israel who is called the servant also, but very specifically an individual. And uh, if you go, we'll go all the way to chapter 49 for just a second. And we read here, uh, in uh, verse uh, 5, the servant says, And now the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Notice, see, this is an individual from within, from within the, the, the larger group of the servant, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. Then he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So we see that from within Israel is one who's going to restore the servant to be the servant, and at the very same time makes a way for the Gentiles, for the, 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 uh, those who are the outsiders to become the insiders, those uh, of the nations to be able to uh, know the Lord, to be able to, ha uh, to be a light to the nations, okay? That is why, by the way, in the Gospel of Luke, you read in the second uh, chapter about Yeshua. Now, the Lord, uh, in verse uh, uh, 29 and following, now, Lord, thou dost, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The glory of Israel, the greatest of all of, the, of all the Jewish people, the greatest, what is Yeshua? The glory of Israel. And a light of revelation to the Gentiles. 
that the, the nations may know the God of Israel. Okay? All right. Then we come over to um, Isaiah chapter 53. And we're familiar with this uh, passage. Uh, and here is the, uh, the most articulated passage of the suffering servant, of what this individualized servant will do to ha- and how he will restore the, uh, how he will restore Jacob to himself and how he will be a light to the nations. Okay? All right. Now, Remember what we said in Jeremiah 31 there, uh, look at all the eyes. I will forgive their sins. You know, I will place my law in their inward parts, right? Okay. So here in uh, verses four to six, this is a testimony of the remnant of Israel uh, who, who recognize uh, the suffering servant prophetically. Uh, it is a testimony of the, the remnant of Israel. So in verse 4, it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And so, quite clearly, we see here how this servant redeems or brings back Jacob and Israel, and how the servant uh, is a light to the nations. He makes atonement. He bridges the gap. He does what it takes to satisfy the righteous demands of God. He brings reconciliation and forgiveness. How? By taking our sins on himself. Now, in this context, he's talking about Israel. Got to remember that, okay? Uh, and he's talking about all of Israel as a people. That he, the individualized servant, takes the sins of the people Israel upon himself. Now, you may be familiar with a passage like Zechariah chapter 12 in verse 10. We shall recognize him whom we have pierced, right? And mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. See, all these prophets were, they all received revelation from God and it all was sort of saying the same thing in a sense. And that is the day is going to come when Israel will have this great, wonderful testimony of we didn't, we didn't think it was Yeshua, but it really is him. And we thought that he was just the sorriest of people, but it turns out they were right. (laughs) That he really did die for our sins. And he was raised from the dead, as Isaiah 53 later says, right? Uh, We read here that um, uh, in verse 10, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, He will see his offspring and will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. In other words, it's not the end of the servant when he takes our sins upon himself and he dies. He continues to live. And, of course, you see this in a variety of places. 
You see it in uh, Isaiah chapter 25. Uh, you see it in Isaiah chapter 26. And in Psalm 16, this big promise of resurrection, of living after death. Okay? Uh, and so, we know from what we read this morning, uh, our, our New Covenant reading, that Yeshua indeed died for our sins and he rose from the dead. His resurrection serves as proof of his victory over sin and as a sign of the beginning of the end. For in, even in, uh, you know, in Judaism, resurrection is a sign of the Olam Haba, the world to come. And Yeshua's resurrection is how we know ultimately that he truly is the Messiah and that we're living in the beginning of the end. In a sense, experiencing Israel's future today, that future time of security and protection and of, of calmness and peace. We, we experience that communally uh, uh, today. And boy, isn't that what the world needs? The world needs the fruit of the Spirit. The world needs the testimony of Israel's future today. And so, uh, what does this mean to us? Uh, that, okay, uh, Yeshua died for our sins and he rose from the dead. Well, we, we almost always immediately go right to the application to my life right now. But we're going to get there in just a couple of minutes. But let's see what, what's going on here in Isaiah 53 and following. Because it's very dynamic about the results of Yeshua's death and resurrection. In Isaiah 54 and 55, it is marvelous that today that is the Haftorah portion for us. You'll notice if you follow the Haftorah portions for this time of year, chapter 53 is skipped. And in the days when this liturgy, this was liturgy, when it was put together, were days of great persecution of the Jewish people at the hands of the church. And this flagship passage of Isaiah 53 was not included in the liturgical readings for this time of year. You'll see it. Chapter 50, uh, chapter 50 is read in 51, 52, 54, and 55. Fascinating. But we looked at chapter 53 because in order to understand chapter 54 and 55, you cannot bypass chapter 53. The death and the resurrection of the servant is essential for the salvation of this world. And when I say the salvation of this world, I don't simply mean uh, dying and going to heaven of this world, but of a new heaven and a new earth, of turning the... Uh, you know, the, the tears into gladness and, and uh, turning the, uh, the articles of war into farming equipment uh, and lions laying down with lambs and all of that. Uh, the death and resurrection of Yeshua is essential for all of that. You'll notice in chapter 54, okay, <clears throat> it says at the beginning, I know our Haftorah portion begins in verse 11, but it says at the beginning, Shout for joy, O barren one, that you have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travide. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, said the Lord. 
if you read the rest uh, up to verse uh, 10, what you see is the one who is barren. Now, in ancient times, be, being a barren woman was, 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 uh, was horrible. It was, it was uh, 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 viewed in a very negative way, deficient and, and all of that. Certainly, we don't see that in our, our modern understanding of, you know, of fertility. But certainly in this day, being called barren was a terrible thing. And the reason that Israel is called barren is because when Isaiah wrote this, Israel was on this downward spiral and was going to experience hard times. But you see, what he says is the day is going to come that as a result of, remember there were no chapter divisions when this was written, as a result of the death and resurrection of the servant, the barren one will be as one who, who cannot hold all of the children, will be a, a fruitful one as a result of the death and, burial, uh, death and resurrection of uh, the servant. I um, re- read, for example, in verse 4, Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Your husband is your maker. This great promise of reconciliation with God and satisfaction in life for Israel. Got to remember that this is the context of this. Okay? For Israel. Now, if you jump down now to verse 11, where our Haftorah portion begins. Oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted one, Behold, I will set your stones in antimony, and your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlement of rubies, and your gates of crystal, and your entire wall of precious stones. And you can see later on in the revelation of John that he takes bits and pieces of this and looks forward to this new day and uses some of the phrases and terminology here. And all your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. In righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. I, behold, I myself have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and brings out a weapon for its work. I have created the destroyer to ruin. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. If you go back to chapter 42 and we see the sad state of affairs of Israel the servant, and then we see as these pages unfold how one rises from within Israel, to be the servant who takes the sins of Israel upon himself and of the nations of the whole world, but in the context of Israel upon himself and then is resurrected from the dead, we see that the servant now can fulfill this calling and no longer uh, faces the condemnation of the world, but is completely vindicated and is protected and lives in peace in Eretz Yisrael. You see, the only way that that happens is via the death and resurrection of Yeshua. 
Now, in chapter 55, there's a catch. What is that? It doesn't just happen automatically. There has to be an embracing of this one. There has to be an, a, uh, a coming to terms and saying, yes, I believe in that servant. That is why in Zechariah chapter 12, we read Israel will, will recognize him whom they have pierced. And then all of Israel will embrace Yeshua. It's not just they happen to be born at a particular time to get to the finish line, but there's an embracing of Messiah. And when it says in Romans 11, all Israel shall be saved, it's because they embrace, our people will at that time en masse embrace Messiah. Look at what it says in chapter 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. This is a passage of invitation. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what is, does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. He's saying when you embrace the servant, this one whom, according to Isaiah 53, you have misunderstood, then and only then is there real peace in the land. Only then is there real vindication. Only then can the lion lay down with the lamb. Only then can there be no weapons that would overtake anybody. Only then. And by the way, if you keep your finger there and you turn to Romans 11, in verse 14, uh, 15. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? God in his wisdom, the nations have heard this message because of the rejection of uh, Israel, uh, of the Messiah. And that's why the nations are called, the nations who embrace Yeshua, to come and bring this message to Israel. The blessing of the other, blessing of the other, always. And, but he says... What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? That is a euphemism, life from the dead, resurrection, the Olam Haba, the world to come. And that's exactly what Isaiah is saying here, because look at what comes next. Verse 4 of chapter 55. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you, Israel, will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. He is the glory of Israel. Yeshua is the glory of Israel. So that the nations, ultimately, en masse, will know the Lord. Israel is still the servant. But you see, Israel needs Yeshua to fulfill this calling. So that en masse, this world will be turned upside down. Today, there is a remnant of Jews and, frankly, a remnant of Gentiles who truly believe. And we become this vision of the future in the flesh. You see? Uh, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And so he speaks here not only corporately, but yes, also individually. And so 
what does this indeed mean then to us? This is the future. This is all Israel will believe. That's what our statement is saying. And the world will believe through that testimony, as we see it here, as we see it in the, in the new covenant. Okay? What it means to us today, first and foremost, not first and foremost, first of all, is that when we look at the issues of this world, let us not think that whoever is a prime minister, whoever is a president, and, and a peace treaty this, peace treaty that, uh, is going to bring peace. No. It's a very depressing world we live in. I think it's fascinating when you look at Iraq right now and Syria. Of course, we don't, we're not sure exactly what Iraq is and what Syria is. And we think that now, now, we have to do something about this ISIS. Well, you know what I find fascinating? And I'm just going to say this. Who else hates ISIS? Who else in Syria hates ISIS? The ruling, the ruler of Syria hates ISIS. What does that mean? Suddenly we're allies. In other words, my point is this. It's just this cycle of sadness uh, that uh, seems to have no end in sight. And the fact is, is that, you know, maybe there will be peace and calm in upcoming days and weeks and months and years. I don't know. But maybe there won't be. The point is, is that the answer to it all is the good news. Yeshua is good news for the world. He's good news for this world right now. He is good. The more that people embrace him, the more there is peace. The more there is understanding. The more that the body of Messiah grows and Lord willing lives in such a way where enemies lay down with each other. You know, when it says lion and lamb, it's not about animals. I might include animals. It's not about animals. It's about natural enemies becoming friends. That's what it's about. And only in the death and resurrection of Messiah Yeshua will there be peace in Israel and Jordan and Egypt and Lebanon and Syria and, and the United States and Europe. We see horrible things going on. The wind, again, the wind, the wind in Europe. I'm not sure what year it is. You know, when I look at our country, I'm thinking, is it 1962? I look in Europe, I say, is it 1936? You know, you look at the Middle East now, you're saying, is it 1900? You know, like erasing of these man-made boundaries. It's kind of interesting. The fact of the matter is, we are called to intercede for all these places and know that God listens to our prayers and that there are people, emissaries of Messiah in all these places. May God bless them as they go and as they carry the most important word of all. Don't think of that as pie in the sky or a bunch of simpletons. It's the answer. You know, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians? It is the foolish who will confound the wise. And so, for, the, for this world, Yeshua is the answer according to this passage. Oh, may our people hear the message and know Messiah and be an emissary to this world. I could point to lots of passages about Egypt and Assyria coming together in Jerusalem. The scripture is full of the promise and hope of what everybody seems, what we really want in this world, peace, safety. The answer is here, and it comes via Yeshua. Now, for us individually sitting here today, no one is ever too far gone 
for Messiah. Because Israel in, in these chapters was, was too far gone. Israel was, you could not tell, you could not tell the Jewish people from the, uh, you know, from the, uh, the ungodly people, from the people outside of the covenant. You could not tell the, the, uh, the Jews from the Assyrians. That's why Jeremiah said, Oh, you who are circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he refers to Israel by the names of their neighbors. It's in uh, Jeremiah chapter 9. Uh, because they couldn't, you couldn't tell them apart. But God, by his grace and his mercy and his promise, calls Israel back. And so maybe you're here today and you feel like you're a little too far gone. Maybe you're just like the Jewish people here. I know there was a day when I was, when I was in relationship with God, but I have gone astray. I have made every bad choice that there is to make and uh, people don't even realize it. I come with a smile on my face, but if they only knew. No one is too far gone. If you are the barren one, like in this passage, no. God brings restoration to life. What does he say to us? What does he say to you and me? Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Come and be satisfied. Come and know the Lord. Come and be a person who has hope and who can be filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and make right choices and follow in the ways of the Lord. Perhaps Yeshua had this in mind, this passage in mind when he said these famous words. And we'll close with this invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Yeshua is indeed the answer. He is the servant of servants. Come to him, come to him again, and know that he listens and he restores. May this be our message to this world. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, as we approach Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, God, I pray, Lord, we pray together for this world this world that does not know how to make right choices, this world that creates its own fire and is burning as we speak, this world that does not look to the light of God, but to its own kindling of fire. Lord, I pray that rather than being simply voices of condemnation, we might be voices of salvation, that we might be able to uh, communicate, whether it be to entire peoples and nations, or to our next-door neighbor. There's a way out. There's a different way to go. And that God is alive in Yeshua, in Yeshua the Messiah. He is indeed alive. And he will lead you, guide you, deliver you, save you. Just come to the waters. Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us here today, that we might once again drink from the wells of salvation, that our thirst might be quenched. Lord, and that we might either for the first time or just in terms of committing our lives come to you all over again. And Lord, I pray that we as a community, that we would make a difference where we live and that we would be a voice and a pattern of deliverance. Lord, we thank you.
the great calling you've given us, for the salvation you've given us, that we can experience Israel's future today. We pray in Messiah's name.